This week on Art in the Air, we feature a pair of fiber artists who will be exhibiting at the 2024 For the Love of Art Fair using natural wool and silk fibers. Laura Gutzweller mimics traditional painting techniques with her art, while Kent Epler creates a whimsical fiber sculptures from recycled objects and fabrics in his. Our spotlights on the 59th presentation of Michigan City's The Messiah. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry, art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther, art on the air our way. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art in the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. We'd like to welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight. We're going to be talking about the Michigan City Messiah, and it's going to be a Saturday, December 16th at 7 p.m. and Sunday at December 17th at 3 p.m. at the Holcraft Performing Arts Center in Michigan City. And we have its conductor, who's been there, I think, for his about for the ninth season, maybe longer than that, Phil Bauman. Welcome to the first time to Art in the Air Spotlight. Welcome. Hi. Uh, Hi, Larry. Yeah. And Esther, we're, we're delighted to be a part of your program and uh, tell your listeners about the Michigan City Messiah, which... Uh, uh, this is actually coming on to my ninth year participating in this, but it's a long-standing tradition that has been going on for about uh, 59 seasons now. So uh, it's certainly a, a so impressive. A, uh, yeah, a, a stable in uh, the, the communities of Michigan City and Laporte and Northwest Indiana as a as a holiday tradition. And it's kind of a gift to the community thing. So tell us about the participation. Uh, who do you have coming in? I, first of all, you have professional soloists coming in, but you also have community members. Tell us about that whole process. Right. Well. The, um, the, the, it is a community choir, so it is certainly available to anyone who wants to participate with us. We start rehearsals in uh, the latter part of October, uh, performances, of course, in December. And so we have about six to eight rehearsals with the choir. And um, we have a steady core of people who have been with us for many years. But um, each year, uh, this year in particular, we're kind of excited because we've, we've added about 10 new members to the group. And that's been throughout... Uh, you know, putting out posters and making announcements on social media that we're looking for new singers. Uh, we need to keep new lifeblood coming into the choir. Uh, some people have been in this choir for many, many years, but uh, it's getting those younger voices involved. In fact, this year we have we have some teenagers, actually, 14, 15-year-olds who are great singers. And now this is 
I think it's going to shape their life as a singer because being able to be surrounded by a quality uh, production like this, to, to be in the midst of talented and, and uh, community members who can sing well and sing this glorious music can, can really shape their perspective on what they might want to do with their life. You also get some soloists in, and I don't know that they vary from year to year, but uh, you get some professional people that come in and do much of that. So tell us about that process and maybe some of the people that you have. Yes. Well, this year, uh, we're delighted to have, I would say, our, our dream team quartet, who has been with us for several years. We don't always get to get them uh, all together at one time, but we'll, I'll start with a soprano. That is Kim Jones, a fabulous soprano from Chicago, uh, who has made her name nationally and internationally as, as, as a great star soprano singer. We have uh, Kristen Gornstein, who is a native of uh, Michigan City, Laporte area, who has been with us almost every year but one that I've been involved with. She's our mezzo-soprano. She lives in uh, Colorado at the moment. Uh, we have as our tenor, Matt Daniel, who is hails from South Bend, and he has not missed a season with me. Uh, so he's been all there with all nine years. Uh, it's great to have him uh, part of our uh, soloist. He's also a, one of the chorus members of the uh, Lyric Opera, so he somehow fits this into his schedule this time of year. And our bass baritone soloist is Bill McMurray, um, who also hails from Chicago. And uh, I was kind of tallying things up. Over the years, we've had four bass soloists, four different bass soloists, two different mezzo-soprano, one tenor, uh, and three different sopranos over my tenure. Um, but this is the group that we always hope we can get. And, uh, and we have them this year. And they're just fantastic singers who the audience just is enthralled with what they can do with this oratorio. This is your dream team, apparently. So yes, excellent. <laughs> Don't tell the others that, but it is. It, 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 works, it just works out well. <laughs> what has the transition to the Holdcraft been like? Like acoustically? Yeah, and, there's uh, there's a lot of a lot of differences there. We used to be in the Presbyterian Church, but when COVID hit and we needed to find a, a more spacious place, uh, we went to the Holdcraft Theater, and that worked out really well for us because. It seats uh, many hundreds of people where the Presbyterian yeah. Church kind of kind of got us stuck at maybe a couple hundred. Uh, yeah, the acoustic, this is 800. Yeah. So, uh, so that has worked really well. And, and it's a different space. And I think it's what I've enjoyed is that it's a more um, community-centered space. It's not a religious uh, institution that we're performing at. And even, even though we do have many people come to us that aren't necessarily live a faith-based life, but they do appreciate the, the music of Handel and Oratorio. So it's, it's been a good transition for us. There's a little more spacious room for the orchestra. We're kind of in a real pit situation where the singers and the, and the choir is up on the stage and we're down at the, at the auditorium level. And uh, it, it gives it a very much a, a concert feeling. Uh, and and, and a, it's been a good acoustic for us as well. You've taken over and you've been there nine seasons. What have you seen in that nine seasons that you've transitioned from and yeah. to? Yeah, we, we went from, um, I would say, a, a rather large-scale version of, of the orchestral accompaniment. And, and we've kind of brought it back to its roots of being a Baroque-sized orchestra with just the, the instruments that Handel asked for. Um, it got kind of grand uh, in my, the previous time before I arrived with uh, the, the Ebenezer Prout orchestration, which is for trombones and clarinets and French <laughs> horns. And, you know, it was a, a, a big sound, but we've, we've tempered it down. And then also from a singer standpoint, um, over the years, I think in the last couple of years, I have stopped adding more notes. But I have about 16 pages of notes for our new singers who say, you know, this is what we, this is how we do this. Um, and it, it's, it's as simple as saying we make this note short, that note long, or we actually change some rhythms here and there. And, and, and so they, they, they get a, 
they get a nice um, a guide uh, as to how to integrate into what we are doing here. But it, it's uh, it's a good it's a good way to get people involved in, in knowing what they're what the what we're asking of them. Well, in our last few moments here, tell us about how people can find out about it and uh, admission and all the details of sure. Messiah. Well, a great resource is mcmessiah.com. Uh, that's our website. And they can find out about the concert. The concert is free. So there's a goodwill offering that we ask at the end of the performance if you're so inspired to please donate. But um, that is, uh, it's, a, it's our gift to the community, as you said. And this will take place um, on uh, Saturday evening, December 16th at 7 p.m. And then Sunday, December 17th at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And this is without intermission, uh, two hours, maybe 10 minutes of music. And uh, we do I would say about 85% of Messiah. So it's a really full full production. Well, we'd like to thank you for coming on Art in the Air Spotlight. That's Phil Bauman, the conductor and music director for the Michigan City Messiah. Thanks so much, Phil, for coming on the show. Thank you, Philip. Thank you. Nice talking with you. Art in the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art in the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. This is Whitney Reynolds of The Whitney Reynolds Show, and you are listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP 103.1 FM. Underwriting for this Art of the Year feature interview is brought to you by the 2024 For the Love of Art Fair at South Bend Century Center, running February 17th and 18th. More information is available on the web at fortheloveofartfair.com. We would like to welcome Laura Gutzweiler to Art on the Air. While art was always Laura's dream, she initially was in the health and fitness realm. She is now a needle felting wool artist with both dimensional and flat work. Her inspiration comes from nature, recreating sunsets, landscapes, trees, plants, and animals. Her goal is to explore and push the boundaries of fiber art. Laura is one of the exhibiting artists with Shireen Johnson-Kleins for the Love of Art Fair in South Bend at the Century Center, happening February 17th and 18th of 2024. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Laura. It's nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. And Laura, it's nice to see you again. And we were at a little conversation thing that Valpo Creative Council had and that's when we first yeah. met then it just kind of matriculated into this when <laughs> Shireen suggested that you would be a great artist and we're going to pair you later with Kent Eplar who's also a fiber artist so but what our audience wants to know is all about Laura and I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now so tell us all about your origin story <laughs> my origin story it makes me sound like a, a superhero but I'm I'm no different than anyone else. <laughs> um, well I I grew up in uh, near the Libertyville Illinois Till I was about 12 and then moved to Valparaiso, Indiana. I was always a, a crafty, artistic kid, but I always thought that art was just a hobby, but it was just going to be, it was just something fun, but it was never something I could do as a career um, or as a successful career. <laughs> and so I, I chose a completely different path it, through college. I was uh, exercise science, sports medicine. I was really into physical therapy. I think I was in third or fourth grade when I had a class do like a career day. And they said I had to choose what I want to be when I grow up. And I felt like if I made a decision, I had to just stick with it. But like, for some reason, I couldn't change my mind. <laughs> like I had to I had to pick a career and then that was it. But so for a long time in my head, 
I chose to be a, a, you know, I wanted to go to physical therapy school and um, had that in my head all the way through college and just went on that track and then graduated. And my life kind of fell apart for a few years there when I realized that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And when you've made such a commitment for, you know, 20, 10 years, 15 years, that that's what that's who you were and what you wanted to do. I had a hard time just adapting to the fact that I didn't know. So for a while, I just kind of, I personal trained for about 10 years um, because I had the exercise science background and it was something I knew. And I I truly enjoyed connecting with people on a one-to-one basis and teaching classes. And and that was great, but something was missing. Something was missing from my life. And uh, I realized that I hadn't done any kind of art in so many years. Um, I mean, I just... I even stopped reading. Like I just, I got so committed to what I was doing um, with my job and uh, I just stopped creating. And so I found myself in like 2017, 18, really 2018, um, having a little bit of a mental breakdown, (laughs) you know, as we all go through challenges in our life, we have to reevaluate what is making us happy. And I realized that, um, I needed to express myself. Uh, I, I wasn't expressing myself uh, in a in a thoroughly healthy way. I um, I had all these ideas and all these things, and I was I had always been such a quiet person. I never spoke up. I never I never took that risk in school to even like just say something out there and, and present an idea. I was the quiet kid that sat in the back of the class and got straight A's because I just followed directions and I wasn't really thinking for myself. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, I just realized like I've got to I've got to get back to what makes me me, and um, that was art. That was um, I, I didn't know what kind of art yet, but I knew that I needed art back in my life. Um, so I uh, it's the funniest story how I came upon needle felting because it's such a strange like obscure craft <laughs> that at the time when I started, most people didn't even know what I was talking about. Like it, it was just. It's, it's almost, it's bigger now than it was five years ago. So um, now it's not so unknown. But at the time, I found this little kit to make a little animal out of um, wool. So it's mostly wool that I work with. And you just stab at it with these little needles <laughs> that um, kind of knot the fibers together until you're sculpting a solid object. So I was making little animals and little ornaments. And I was making earrings and keychains and just all of a sudden, I was just having fun creating again. And then COVID hit. And uh, I I found myself not working, uh, not doing... I was trying to do both worlds for a long time. And um, when uh, a lot of my clients didn't want to come back to the gym setting, and so it was a scary place to be. Um, and I don't blame them. So I, uh, I had a lot of time to just fully commit to something for... I think I had, you know, months to just sit back and do art all day, every day, and realize like how happy that made me <laughs> through, through like a, a terrible time, you know, through 2020 when it, it was scary and, and there were a lot of things going on in the world. I was finding this joy. I was finding this, um, this way of expressing myself and I was so happy. So when I was able to get back to work, I kind of realized that I had changed and I had to, um, I had to just start letting those clients go. And and it was was 2021 that I decided to say, hey, I'm going to try to do this full time. Um, 
and at the time my art had started to change into shadow boxes and things like that and and now it's just kind of flattened more and more and more until it's mm -hmm. frameable it's more two-dimensional now than anything and i'm creating very different things than i did when i first started but it's every year it just turned into something i can use uh, to better express myself and my feelings about art in general. So, so you know, I have a two-parter sort of. So what, you know, you talked about being very crafty as a young child's girl. So what did you gravitate toward? What was your mode of expression then? Oh, good question. Um, I was always drawing. Um, it's always like colored pencils or, or uh, like clay and um, <laughs> like, so, so, with, I was, I was so with the clay, because it's so it's like it's not easy to go dimensional and make dimensional work. That's why. So the clay is more dimensional. Uh, so you had some of that background. And yes, yeah, good. that's that's a really good point. Yes. When I first started um, needle felting and everything was three dimensional, I struggled with that for a long time, like because it's not easy to get something proportional and um you know that my husband won't let me throw out the first thing I ever made. It's it's supposed to be a koala, and it looks like <laughs> that the cat left on the floor. You know, like it's just it's terrible. And he says, "No, we have to keep this because this is where you started." You know, right. you have to always remember that. And I think part of um, I have a little bit of a competitive personality, and I I compete with myself quite a bit. So. I found something that was very challenging for me and in a time of my life when like a lot of things were falling apart, I needed to commit to something. Um, and, and for me, needle felting, I was like, you know, I'm not giving up on this. I'm going to keep trying every single day. I don't care how frustrated yeah, I Because it's not easy. The way you present it, it's like, oh, it was so easy, but it's not an easy, <laughs> it's, not. it's not easy. And it's kind of painful. And uh, can be, know. yes. It produces <laughs> a lot of uh, bloody fingertips because yes. you know, the needles are very sharp. Um, and so then my second part is, okay, so now you go really large. So can you describe the transition from doing these small pieces to then... Yeah. Expanding. It's so fascinating. Well, there's kind of like a two-part answer there because when I was making little animals and little sculptural things, um, it was fun and they were cute and I was making little gnomes and stuff, which everybody loved, but you, you can't sell things like that for more than like 20, 30 bucks sometimes, like, especially depending on the show you go to. And I realized very quickly, cause I have a, an analytical brain. I have a very like scientific brain and I um I would walk around these big art fairs and and you don't see that kind of crafty stuff at art fairs <laughs> um and I'm so it's kind of interesting because it's very hard to do fine art with needle felting sculpturally there are people out there that do it but they make very intricate um beautiful things and part of me just didn't um I wasn't very attracted to that like I didn't want to spend um, you know, like 80 plus hours making something uh, so intricate. And then I, I don't know, that's, it's really interesting, because it's, it's, it's been such a learning curve for me with what I'm just attracted to with fiber art. And I just personally wanted to be able to put it in a frame. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted it to be something that was protected, in a way, uh, which is why I put a lot of my art behind um, glass. And I know a lot of people don't necessarily like that they want to be able to feel and touch the fiber art but 
I think it's just so meaningful to me that I wanted to put it in something to preserve it as long as possible. And that meant uh, shadow boxes or, or frames. Well, it also keeps it clean because fiber attracts a lot of dust. and <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I kind of combined my love of, of painting, of drawing um, with the art of needle felting. So I learned like, well, you know, I actually want to create landscapes because what truly makes me happy is recreating um, nature and scenes and sunsets and places that allowed me to reconnect with my with my emotions with my feelings because that's what I needed during that time um, was was my own form of therapy which was connecting to emotions again and uh, so my art really is depicting things that I I hope evoke emotion um, so I I had to do that two-dimensionally, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, if they had to be, oh, they had to look like paintings. <laughs> it's so true. And so, like, with fibers, because, you know, fibers are like hair, really, mm-hmm. the blending of it must be so, because, like, with paint, it's just so immediate. But I think the thought process probably between, like, which colors will give you the effect must be so fascinating for you. Yeah, just, but that's the challenge. I kind of think of like pointillism almost, you know, <laughs> like what two colors are going to bring this feel to it. It's like so yes. interesting. Yes. So, Laura, did you uh, take any classes for yourself or kind of just germinated on your own? And the second part of that is, do you do any workshop or classes to teach people that? I do. Well, okay. First part, no, I, I didn't take one class um, because I was on such a personal journey with it. I didn't want to really be influenced and I still don't really like go around and find other fiber artists. I mean, I know they're out there and I know other people do similar work uh, with, with needle felting like I do, but I'm very influenced by things that I see and hear. And, and when I'm truly connecting with another artist, I have to be very careful because I'm like, I love what you did there. And then I, you know, that's, that is the, a huge compliment to another artist to be inspired by their work. But um, I really wanted it to try to be 100% from my brain when I first started. So I wanted to just experiment with uh, kind of combining three-dimensional with two-dimensional. So my art is kind of, um, it's not completely flat. Like if you were to look at it, you'd see the ridges and the bumps. And sometimes it's two inches thick when I'm fi- when I'm finished with it. So yeah, I, I did not. I, I just kind of trial and errored my way through it. <laughs> I learned which needles worked best for what types of wool. And um, I kind of just learned my own way of blending by hand and combining colors. And um, um, I love teaching, though, which is which is kind of ironic, I know. Um, but I absolutely love spreading the joy of what it is to other people. And and my first few classes were just so inspiring to me because I got a group of people that had, they had no idea what they were signing up for. They didn't even, they thought that there was, there was a cute picture online and they wanted to make something and they signed up with a friend and they came along and, and um, the first thing I, I, the first thing I always say when I teach a class is I am so amazed by each and every one of you for the courage it took to just come here and be vulnerable in this setting. And, um, so it's very important to me to like inspire people in that way and just share the art of creating. I mean, I think we all need to express ourselves um, and uh, connect with each other. And uh, that's my way of doing that, I guess. 
Of course, your teaching skill is easy to transfer for what you were doing before in a career. I mean, the whole, whole idea of actually teaching is just that now you're teaching something that you're inspired by to do. True. That is true. Awkward person, but people like but that, to, I guess. <laughs> so to get your fiber, do you have connections with like the alpaca farmers and the sheep? And, you know, so do you get it? So how I guess the bigger question is, how do you acquire your fiber? Ah, um, I use a lot of fiber from a little shop in Chesterton, Indiana, called Three Moons Fiber Works. Um, that was one of the first places that invited me to come teach. Um, that was the f- so I'm very connected with that shop and Rebecca, the owner, is just fantastic to work with. Um, that's a I mean it's all fiber arts there. There's felting, weaving, knitting. Um, it's a beautiful place and. Uh, Tremendous amount of looms. It's beautiful. Yes, really cool store. Uh, really cool place to, of just community connection coming together um, in different ways. And I also order a lot of wool. I, I wish I had the time to dye it myself, and maybe someday I will. In my typical style, I've bought all sorts of books on how to do something, and they're just gathering dust around here. <laughs> but I, uh, I, uh, I have to order when I'm looking for a specific color. So I order a lot from a place called Living Felt in Texas. Um, it's just that I, I fell in love with the quality of that wool and the types of fibers that you could get there. Cause it's not all wool. I use a lot of alpaca. I use a lot of silk um, for different shine and textures in my work. Um, I just ordered a bunch of yak fur. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> wonderful. Which I've never used before, and I don't know what I'm going to do it, but I was like, a yak? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like camel. Camel's very bounced, yes, kind of a bouncy I almost, fiber. I was going back and forth between yak or camel, so <laughs> camel's next. <laughs> um, and I was just I was just out of town last week in, um, in Arizona, and I wanted to go into this store out there. It was in um, Phoenix, and uh, unfortunately, we, she, we, we didn't connect, but I love finding fiber stores wherever I go and, and finding very unique textures of wool because it's all processed so differently and dyed so differently. That's part of the fun for me. It's like a, it's like a game <laughs> to find colors that inspire me and, see and what texture. I, I mean, it's really like, as you explain it too, like the textures and the sheen it's so particular to the particular animal, too. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's so beautiful. I'm a fiber maniac, so. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> well, tell our audience how you made the transition from, we'll say, kind of a hobbyist in this to actually, you know, going out and exhibiting and doing your work. You know, it's kind of it's kind of a soft transition. And you've touched on some of that, but tell us about how you got to doing that where you're now out and exhibiting. Yeah, um, getting best in show. <laughs> yes. It's all happened very quickly. Um, so I'm still processing a lot of what's happened in the last year. Like 2023 has been just a whirlwind that I am I am still coming to, to terms with, I think. Um, and I feel just incredibly blessed that I have come in contact with other artists. I've, I've got some amazing friends that inspire me every day um with what they post and what they're creating and you know as much as i can be annoyed by social media (laughs) um (laughs) it's how i've connected to some some very important people now in my life that um like other artists that we relate to the challenges of being a full-time artist and and doing these shows so in the last couple years i i have a 
a very good friend that he and I were both like in the same boat as far as applying to bigger shows at the same time. So it was very helpful to have someone else I could talk to. Um, and like, like, Hey, have you heard of that show? Well, well, here's what I heard about that one. And then let's, you know, let's try to get into the similar shows and let's, let's apply. And so just learning how to go from a craft show to an art fair has been extremely <laughs> challenging um, because I had to just dive into it head first. And I had that one friend um, and now a couple more, but uh, my, my husband works in a very different field and he was just like, I'll be here for support, but I don't really know how you're going to, you know, know because everything is bigger. The fees are bigger than, you know, the traveling is bigger. The Yeah. Mm -hmm. Transportation. Yeah. It's a whole different deal. It was a massive investment um, to find the right equipment, the the booth. The tent. (laughs) The tent was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to upgrade that too. It can't be just that little pop-up. It has to be. Yeah. The the pop-up was great for a while but it was very risky with weather and I so you just (laughs) my husband always says you have to spend money to make money Laura and he's like just do it just go in like well you know let's take the risk because the biggest risks have the biggest rewards and so I I just went all in with it and um yeah it's I'm still learning which which I want to go to different shows. I don't always want to do the same shows and I want to hopefully travel some more. And so how far have you traveled out for a show? Um, well, the farthest was probably the St. James court show in Louisville. Um, maybe Charlevoix, Michigan. I think they were both about five hour drives from where I am. Um, so that was like way upper Michigan. And, uh, but that's about it. <laughs> I was just good. in my, my minivan. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. You're going to be for, in the For the Love of Art Fair. Tell us briefly how you got connected with Shireen and everything. That's going to be, of course, February 17th, 18th, uh, 2024. So it, tell us how you guys connected. Uh, so Shireen um, introduced herself to me at a few different shows this last year. It's kind of funny. like, <laughs> And she was, she was just so... Um, such a happy, energetic person. I think we first met in Kalamazoo at the Kalamazoo Art Fair. And she introduced herself and gave me some um, some promotional things for the show. And I was very interested because I, I recognized a few other friends who had done it on the list of artists. And um, and then I ran into her again at the Krasel Art Fair. I forget where all, she came down to Louisville. I saw her there. So, <laughs> so I was just very... Um, very inspired by her enthusiasm for the show. And um, yeah, I, I can't wait to be a part of that. Um, she, yeah, she's uh, so bubbly. Yes. And it's very important to feel like supported um, by a show that, that an artist chooses to do um, or, or tries to apply to get into. It's, it's kind of a scary world out there for artists. So any, anyone who makes you feel safe and supported like she has is very important. So well, and just in our last few moments here, Laura, we want you, people to tell how they can find you online, social media, and any other upcoming things you have maybe in January of 2024 or beyond. Sure. Um, 
The best way is really through um, Instagram or my website. So it's Felting by Laura on Instagram. Um, my website is feltingbylaura.com. I'm also on Facebook if you'd rather do that. <laughs> I kind of just cross post everything. But I am looking forward to doing my first uh, more in-depth class this January with, uh, with a two-dimensional wool painting. So... Uh, for the first time, I'm going to probably teach, it's going to be maybe a four to six hour class um, where everyone will leave making something that's like eight by eight inches or eight by 10, somewhere in there. Work with uh, Susie Vance. She's a fiber artist and she now has a studio in Michigan City. I'm super excited to be uh, invited to her space to uh, teach this there. Laura Gutspoiler, she's uh, going to be in the For the Love of Art Fair, February 17th, 18th, the South Bend Century Center. Uh, thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air and sharing your arts journey. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Art of the Year listeners, do you have a suggestion for a possible guest on our show? Whether it's an artist, musician, author, gallery, theater, concert, or some other artistic endeavor that you are aware of, or a topic of interest to our listeners, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. This is Memorial Opera House Executive Director Megan Stoner, and you are listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. Underwriting for this Art of the Year feature interview is brought to you by the 2024 For the Love of Art Fair at South Bend Century Center, running February 17th and 18th. More information is available on the web at fortheloveofartfair.com. We would like to welcome Kent Epler to Art on the Air. Kent's vast background in fine arts and design, including interior design and children's theater, plus his keen sense of humor, has led to his success with his large figural fiber sculptures that can employ found objects as well as all the custom-created elements, each a unique expression. Kent is one of the featured artists with Shireen Johnson Kleins for the Love of Art Fair in South Bend at the Century Center happening February 17th and 18th of 2024. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Kent. It's nice to finally meet you. Nice to meet you too, finally. Finally. <laughs> well, we're so glad to have you on the show, Kent. And uh, of course, I, I love to hear about your th- uh, children's theater experience, being a retired theater director myself. But we also oh. want to talk about your art. Yeah, I did that for quite a few years and everything. But anyway, we're, we're interested more about your story right now. Uh, I always like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us about Kent's origin story. Well, my origin story, I, I, I even I can look back and go, how did this happen? <laughs> I was born and raised in, in Helena, Montana. Uh, my parents used to talk about they would come in my bedroom and say, why don't you go outside and play? What are you doing? I'm playing New York apartment and I'm a designer. <laughs> I didn't even know what that meant. <laughs> they go, get outside. And so they got me involved in theater. But then also, like, this is typical. I was the kind of kid who could spend hours amusing myself and not having any interaction. My parents came in. My mom went, what are you doing? I was making clothespin dolls. <laughs> I had no idea how I figured out, figured out how to do them. But I took my mom's clothespins. And I, I just look at that, that story back there and go, interesting. That I really, that far back, was interested in manipulating fabrics and creating my own form of art form. And I kind of continued through that and then also was involved with children's theater. 
And as soon as I got older, I just, I, wanna, I went into theater. I did theater in high school. And not only just theater, but usually always on some level, I was helping with costumes. Right. I was there. The first play I did, I played the highwayman and Tom Jones. And I didn't like my costume, so I made a black cape. This <laughs> <laughs> scary. Really so early, these leanings. Yeah. So it's really funny. And then from that, which is sort of, I always sort of learned something and then moved on to the next thing. And I went to the University of Montana. I was a full art major. At the end of my first quarter, my professors all got together. They had a meeting and they said, Kent, we think you need to drop this program and go into theater. (laughs) And so I kind of got away from design and then got much more involved in theater and then went to theater, toured the United States and national uh, Shakespeare companies. Um, started up from all that, resolved, worked with John, John Jory and Actors Theater in Louisville, and then did children's theater, touring children's theater with Blue Apple Players for almost 15 years. At which that point then on, I just sort of went, this isn't what I wanted to do. I want, this wasn't my plan. How did I get, how did I do this <laughs> so long? And so I went back to school. Went back to school, got my interior design degree, and from it, I also I went out and started my own business, and became a certified kitchen designer. I was on one of the few uh, of that uh, range of uh, caliber of design, and I installed my own cabinets. I installed all my all my work, so it kind of went from that, and then I just kind of, uh, and then I got involved in children's theater again. <laughs> And this was the one that I think really launched me again. I got involved with it. I'd worked with about 70 kids at kind of a private school here in Louisville. And I would uh, create, do the shows, create all the sets, design and, and execute all the sets, and do most of the costumes myself, too. Wow. And so it started that. It, it, I just had to, had to have so much more. It was ne- I never got enough. And even through that experience in the back, back the background, I created my first piece and didn't even know I had. I created a witch for Wizard of Oz. Oh. Because our kid says we couldn't fly the, the, the actress. So I said, I'll maybe make like three different sizes and have the kids run about across the stage kind of kabuki style. Right. And, oh, that worked out great. Everybody, and everybody loved the witches out there. were so fun. After the show, I had people call me a week asking if they could buy the witch. And I said, well, I just have the three, you know. And you really buy it? Yeah, I loved it. I want it. Ah, whoa. <laughs> that little germ. <laughs> and then it started. I went, oh, and next piece I did, well, I did, I, I remember I did a cowboy called Benny Reynolds, who was a legendary rodeo guy in, from, in Montana. And I, and I did him and had him in my house and started creating small other pieces. Well, then finally, all this sort of ended. I sort of went, I didn't want to do kitchens anymore. I got tired of dealing with all that construction mess and children's theater. And I decided I'm going to move to Montana, back to Montana. So my partner and I at the time, we, he and I moved back to Montana and opened a gallery. And then this is when it finally starts to happen. I moved back three or four of my the taller sculptures. And we started to open the gallery. I went... You know, I don't want any mannequins in the store. They creep me out. I just think they're weird. I don't want mannequins. <laughs> and I went, huh, I wonder if I, 
what if I did some of my sculptures and, and did them as window display? I'd be the only one to have that kind of display. I'd be the only one to have that, 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 that marking piece in the whole town. After winning three or four Christmas windows, <laughs> which I did the whole cast of Wizard of Oz and, pi- and typed out the soundtrack for a month out in the street. Wow. Painted, painted gold bricks on the sidewalk. I had, of course, got in trouble with the city ordinance. But that's when it started. And then I had my employer one day. I came to work and she said, I, I don't want to tell you how to run your business, but we spend a lot of time telling people these aren't for sale. What are your sculptures? They're asking if they're for sale. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and that started it. Price tags went on that day, and from then on, I started selling them in my, our gallery. But then I started and I applied to do other shows, and then it was that was the other journey, because my everyone sort of tried couldn't compare my work to anybody. There is no, there's nothing like it today. Still, I mean, right. sometimes people will stumble and say, "Kind of cabbage patch dolls." Oh, gross. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all like Cabbage Patch Dolls. But I had no comparison. There was nothing like me anywhere. And I stuck it out. And it was the point that even I had a couple times jurors had had called me and said, I juried your work and we just can't seem to find a, a position for you in the show. But mostly because we just can't compare you to anybody. There's nothing like you. And I finally started saying, well, what's wrong with you? Well, take the leap. Have something original in your shows. And I sort of pushed it that way, and I had jurors then finally step up the plate, and then slowly it happened. Now, I'm a, a dominant figure in the show field. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this wall by my stairs. It's covered with first place, first place ribbons and best in show ribbons, but it took almost 15, 18 years to get there. What was that but very I, first show that you did? Was it in Montana, or did was it out of the yes. state? It was in Montana. It was called Big Fork, Montana, which is the resort area up on Flathead Lake, which is a glacier-fed lake. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I got in the show because I knew the promoters. <laughs> <laughs> it helps. <laughs> and yeah. But, they, you know, they loved the work. And they said, you've got to try this show. And, and I, I didn't even have a tent. It was like, okay, well, I guess I need to buy a tent to put them in. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And I always remember at that time. That first show, I can remember how awkward I was on, on selling. It was like I also. It was the first time I kind of looked at my work and went, "Oh my god, I think this is amazing," but I don't know if I can I can explain it to anybody, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And of course, in a show, to me, it's always three things: you it's you see the piece, you love it. Second thing, price. Third thing, meet the artist. Right. And I've walked away from pieces before because I didn't connect with the artist. Right. So I was very aware of that three piece was crucial, and especially for me. Mine b- bonus with mine is that early was printed cotton and Joanne fabrics. I was living in Montana; I had no resources, and so I finally, finally, one day, I made a piece with recycled clothing. Right, and then went, "Oh, wait a minute! This first, I love this because I'm a big thrifter and a recycler," and I said. What's amazing about this, what I love this, is I can now point, I can point to everything in my booth and say, everything in here has already lived another life. And everything you're looking at, oh my God, yeah, they're beautiful. Oh, Ken, I love them. 
it'd all be in the landfill. All in the landfill. Throw away. So instead, I give it a different life. And, and, and of course, that's what makes it even another step of being so unique. It, or, or I've had women walk up and go, touch a piece of fabric, turn to me and say, I used to own this coat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably, yeah, it's probably yours. I probably cut it up. Right. So, Ken, without first show, what were the lessons that you took from it? Because those first shows are always so difficult. And did you get help from the other vendors with yeah. um, tips? And No. It was a group that, uh, as you know, that's the beginning of the family. It was so obvious I was stumbling. I was so obvious I didn't know what I was going to do. And they were all looking at my cheap little tent I bought that was not going to protect me from the rain and my work is all comp- I mean, it's compromisable. And but it was like then that what I, I call the family. Everyone, guys came out, and helped me put the tent up. People offered suggestions. Uh, I had artists say, you know, I, I I have my old used tent, but it's a commercial tent, and um, I, I just give it to you if you come pick it up. I mean, I remember it was that that feeling was like, I mean, it was fun with the customers, and the selling, of course. But it's that it's that dealing with the family of, of, of people that from my first show, I still communicate with today. Mm. You know, it surprised me about shows. Um, and it was um, that somebody, a different artist came into my booth and said, would you please come and pick out something from mine? Because I want something from yours. And that was like, it was just so beautiful. This like, like you say, the family exchange. It's no, you know, it's really it's, quite lovely. And I think back then, it's funny you said this because it just joggled a memory. That period, well, maybe it's also the, the the West Coast though too. But we exchanged a lot, and I've never done. I've never done. I don't think I've ever done it here. I mean, someone will come and say, "Hey, let's exchange." Yeah, okay. Um, I'll get like I get your work, then you go pick something of mine. And I remember that happening a lot in those Yeah, days. it's so beautiful. It was yeah. like so unexpected. I had, when, when I did my first show, I really never knew that that would be part of it. And it was just so enchanting, you know, that. Well, you know, you take it, you go, the customer is the customer, but an artist buying my work, you're so flattered. Oh, completely. I mean, it's just like, wow, you get it. You get it. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, on WVLP, 103.1 FM. You know, Kent, one thing I noticed about your work, and of course now I've seen with your talking about your theater background, is how theater informs your work. It seems like, I mean, I'm looking at a piece right now, Torch Song Singer, and uh, some of the other, uh, a Wasp Queen, and uh, these are very theatrical poses that you have these uh, characters in. So tell us about how that developed. Well, so much of that was that when I was referred to, and when people sort of look, they look confused, it's it's the armature. Now, I probably spent 10 years modifying and working on this armature. I have an original one of mine in the bottom of my studio on the stairs here. It's so pathetic, the arm fell off of it. The head, the <laughs> neck came loose on it. I didn't, know what it was, I didn't know what it was doing. I had no idea. But luckily, I, for my pieces, I had all my construction experience. So I knew this wire was the wrong gauge of wire. It needs to be this gauge of wire. This needs to be this gauge. This wood dowel has to be this. No, I don't want pine because pine will shrink and the nuts and bolts can fall out. It has to be ash, solid ash. 
And I, a lot of this I recycle and get from the highway department and I get the Dows from the Louisville Slugger Museum. <laughs> uh-huh. they, they, they give me the rejects. So what happened is then, I mean, when people, they'll, they'll you know, they start, we're, you know, we're going to take it, you know, we're going to place the piece. We sort of do. And, and I said, you know, this is probably throw you again. You can repo, we can, you can repost that entire piece. All the fingers work, all the arms and joints work, the knees joints, the leg joints, everything is jointed. So you can literally repost it to do whatever you want. I posted how I want. But I said, feel free that you don't have to. And if you have a problem, just call me. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's key. And, I, and, I, and anyone that sort of works in, in and, and I really had buddies of mine. I, when I finally started getting the shows, I was doing them. Well, what is the category or death? Mixed media, which was created to just for me. It was created for, <laughs> for me everything else <laughs> and everything else. You know what I mean? I don't even know if they have it anymore, but I was in mixed media. And I had two, two of my buddies who are sculptors and work with bronze and incredible things. Came up and said, oh, you know, I love your work, Ken, blah, blah, blah. And I said, and then he turned and said, why are you in mixed media? And I said, buddy, I can't go in sculpture. You're going to be okay with that if I'm in sculpture. And he said, you are sculpture. What's the problem? I said, well, I just feel up because I know we're in precious metals. You work and you manipulate the fabrics and you pose them. You're a sculptor. And he said, and, he, and this guy went, and everything changed, which I got when I got out of that. It everything changed, and I got, and I, and I still jury today as a sculptor. Yeah, well, that's what they are. They are. Yeah. They, they very yeah. much are. Yeah. So yeah. it's so interesting because I read that. Um, so, well, here's a, a whole bunch of questions all in one. <laughs> so, one, do you do sketches? And the other thing is, I read that sometimes you'll be shopping and a piece will inspire you. And so I looked at your Ganesh, you know, your elephant boy. And I thought, boy, I bet that vest was inspired that whole piece, you know? So once you find that, are you sketching? Are you pulling characters from real life? Um, You know, kind of just, I just want to know it all, Ken. Yeah. That's so funny. You said this one, I can't draw a stick person. So a lot of times when I work with, when I work with a consignment piece, I, I literally just, throw samples of fabric on my work table and send it to the customer and go, here's the fabrics I'm going to work with. And number one, what you, you want to do is go, yes or no, or yeah, like that, or don't bother me. You don't want to cramp my style. So you want to keep my creativity free. So, um, but other than that, it can be, oh no, I, I can just, I almost pick out fabrics that I use by walking down uh, aisles and touching them before I see them. I just run my hand down there and the tactile piece to it, I'll, I'll, I'll grab and pull it out. And many times, like you, like you were saying, when does it happen? Oh, I think I got that vest because I, I knew it was Mark Shriner's. Ah. <laughs> it was a Shriner vest. And I love all oh, the sequins and, and the elephant motifs on it. I couldn't get home fast enough to start to do something with it. I bet. And, my, and, and what happened is this happens to me, too. That elephant I had done three or four or five years, no, maybe six years ago. And it just didn't go. Well, then I kind of went, I think the fabrics were wrong in the elephant. And I think the posing was wrong. And I, think, and I totally rethought it. Almost all based on that vest. That's how my brain works. Yeah. And I can do the same with other fabrics, too. I'll, I'll get a piece of fabric and go, I want to do Titania from 
Shakespeare's Titania from Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> and I'm back at I'm at the sewing machine. Yeah, I just love the the you know the custom costuming that you do, and all the videos that you posted were just so much fun. I mean, your sense of humor and your joy for life just comes through in your pieces so much. <laughs> they have such a sense of whimsy to them. I mean, it's just they really are. They just you look at it, these things, and you, you know I've been looking at them in preparation of the interview, and it's, they just bring a smile to your face. And, and then I thought about the theater uh, aspect of your your posing of them. And that's that's marvelous that you can actually say, okay, but this is now yours. You can pose it however you want. <laughs> yeah. No, I think of the same way. Their their process is primarily is building the piece, rehearsing, and then finishing the piece, executing the opening cur- curtain, and then open the curtain and ta-da, they're there. I treat them that way as if each piece is theater. And and it's just it's just how it's it's kind of always been what it makes sense because of my background. Right. Yeah, but the no, costume is exquisite. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's to me, the key, the key for me was, was the, I still today, I know it is the big step. is when I quit buying printed cottons and quit using them and only use high fashion fabrics now. And make, of course it makes a difference. I mean, I can, I look at them. I know the quality of the fabrics. Jeez. Oh, most definitely. And actually I know like in the sixties, um, going to my mom while she got her hair done. I know all those women in curlers with those hairdos. <laughs> so funny. The piece with the curlers is is <laughs> is called Faye, and she grew out of being first. I had was commissioned to do a couple of Baltimore Huns for the Baltimore Hun Festival in Baltimore. They do this. It's the John Waters effect from right. uh, hairspray. So they all do these beehives. So I did a couple with the big highs, and then I carried them in, the, in, the, in my show for a while, and they were selling okay. And then a friend of mine, this happens to me all the time, stuff, fabrics either are delivered from, from a show, a customer will mail me three or four of her old jackets, or <laughs> friends of mine bring stuff. My friend came over, and she said, ding dong, let's have coffee, and we're talking. She said, I brought these, these rollers. Um, we got them from mom, because she's never going to use them. And I went, I don't know, what are they? They're Velcro rollers. I, you, you think I know what that means? Does it mean? I think your your hair could just roll on them, or you could use them for to make a sculpture. And 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 my friend hadn't left the house before I was downstairs. <laughs> I got those rollers. I went. What if I do? I make that beehive twice the size and cover it with these rollers because the colors are great on the rollers. Yeah, and I did are. that piece. And I always tell everybody this now. It's just as amazing. That piece, I finished it. I looked at it. I always worked about seven hours a day. And I, I was going to leave the studio. I looked at the piece and I actually went, uh oh, <laughs> I think I've gone too far this time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And I'd worked all day. The hair takes five, six hours because each was hand sewed. I went upstairs, had dinner, had a couple of martinis. And then what I do this all the time I'll go back down the studio, I'll cover my eyes, and then turn. Oh, Pull my hands away from my eyes. And I looked and went, you're going to be my greatest success. This is too crazy. <laughs> She's my greatest success. Yeah. That piece has been photographed more than any piece. Almost every show, that piece, a version of it ends up in the newspaper. And it's everybody's favorite. And I always think, I said, it just cracks me up because I literally, I'll never forget just looking at it and going, oh, no. I can't believe <laughs> I've worked all day and this piece is crazy. 
You know, Kent, we only have about a minute left. This is time has gone just so fast sharing this with you. But we want to give you a chance to tell us about how people can find your work and if you have any upcoming shows other than the For the Love of Art Fair on February 17, 18. So, and uh, just tell us a little bit about how people can find out about you. Well, primarily, the, the, I always say, refer to my website. My website has all my advertising and all my publicity and all of my work on it and the list of shows I'm going to be doing. And the la- it's called thelaughingboy.com. Excellent. Laughingboy.com. Perfect. Perfect name. Well, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Air, Kent. This has been extraordinarily entertaining having you on. Kent Epler, he'll be at the For the Love of Art Fair, February 17, 18th, the South Bend Century Center. And we appreciate you coming on and sharing your wonderful life journey and your art. Yeah, Thanks, it's been so delightful. It. Thank you. Thank you very much, you guys. Thanks. We'd like to thank our guest this week on Art in the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com, or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world.